So if this is your first Sunday with us in a while, or perhaps you have just dozed off, we return to the Gospel of John that we began, I think now, about seven weeks ago. As today we will conclude the first chapter, trying to look at, not necessarily verse by verse, we're reading through every verse, but uh, gleaning from what John has for us that, uh, as that title page says, that you may believe that you may have life which is a culminating verse at the end of the, of the book. Uh, this week, as I looked at uh, this familiar passage of calling more disciples, we, we left off last week at verse 42 that uh, Jesus had called Peter and Andrew and what I suggested because there's an unnamed disciple that we thought perhaps that's John, uh, because this book is written by John, and he has this very good first-hand detail that we'll see throughout the Scripture. But as I went back and forth, you know, all the things you could go, thematic of it, is it uh, what good could come out of Nazareth, or could you title it what good can come out of Holotus, what good can come out of First Baptist Church, what good can come out of Cliff, you know, that, all those kind of crazy things I thought about. But I came back and forth to this idea of come and see, come and see, or come see. And uh, as I do my thing in pre preparation, trying to bring some sort of modern application to the need to come and see, I stumbled across a San Francisco online, it's called the San Francisco Gate, a news article about this man. And I think there's a picture of him right there, Erwin Cruz. That is a German uh, beer maker. That's what he does or did for a living. Makes, works in a brewery. And he blew his entire savings to come to the United States for a vacation, celebrating his birthday, actually. And it's all he ever thought about going to the Wild West. I guess he'd probably seen TV shows of cowboys. And surprisingly, he didn't come or want to come to Texas. He wanted to go to San Francisco. Well, and at one time, that was the end, right, of the Western, I mean, the gold rush and the end of the West, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, isn't there still an old San Francisco steakhouse here in town? Is that still here? It was here like in the 80s, I remember. Yeah, with the girls swinging on the... Yeah, yeah. That's another story for another day. But, oh, brother Irwin there. I mean, he just... I've been, I was stationed in Germany. He just looks like a happy German. He gets on the airplane, and somewhere around uh, Bangor, Maine, if you've ever been to Maine, they land to refuel. And... Uh, you know, I've gone on transatlantic fl uh, flights where they actually stop in Greenland or Scotland or somewhere like that. But in any event, uh, they have landed, and the stewardess that was on that particular section or the segment of the flight, it's the end of the line for her. So as he is slightly waking up, she says, enjoy your time in California, because he, he had told everybody he was, you know, San Francisco, San Francisco. And with that, and having a few drinks on the flight over, he's a little you know, not worth it. And he, he typically, according to the article, he drank 17 beers a day. Now, he worked in a brewery, so maybe he was the taster. I don't know. And none of you raise your hand and say that's what you want to do for a living. But nonetheless, he, he gets off the plane thinking he's in San Francisco. Hails a taxi, says, take me to town. And how he said that, because as you read the article, he doesn't speak English hardly at all and spends three days in Bangor, Maine, convinced he's in San Francisco. He saw 
two Chinese restaurants side by side, and that confirmed the fact to him because he'd seen in San Francisco there's Chinatown, and he was just had to be at the beginning of that. So he hailed another taxi, thought maybe I'm somewhere outside the Bay Area, and said he wanted to go to San Francisco to the Bay. And with that, the taxi driver said he was crazy and left him there. He stumbles his way back to the bar, and I've got this lady's name because I, I knew I'd never remember it. Uh, somewhere in here. He meets Gertrude Roman in the bar who speaks German. And there he's able to communicate. He's going to San Francisco, and there she's able to communicate. You're not in San Francisco. You're like about as far away as you can get in the, in the continental United States. You are not close to San Francisco. Brings him home to her family. They talk with him because they can speak German. They enjoy a little time. They, they, the, the word gets out. And the Banger Press releases the article of the German who came to Maine thinking he's in San Francisco. And eventually, those in San Francisco get a hold of it, and they pay for him to come out. And he spends four days enjoying San Francisco. And as the story concludes, he gets back on the plane with a sign that says, let me off at Frankfurt. So, as I always do, anytime I see a story like that, because years ago, or when I first started preaching here, I would say, preacher's story or a real-life story. That's a real-life story, but I also like to research it. It happened in 1977, and that helped explain to me why they had to land, because typically you can fly about anywhere to Germany from the United States without having to stop to land, or vice versa. And the title of that article that was released, I guess they re-released it in 2021, uh, was called The World's Last Lost Tourist. Well, I guarantee you there are tourists that are still getting lost today. And the scripture that we're reading today is Jesus calling men who are lost and perhaps don't even know they're lost. But they need to be found and they need to follow and he will tell them how their lives can be fulfilled. And I guarantee you today, there are still lost souls that need the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to walk slowly, if I can walk slowly. You know, I'm probably a fast walker in real life. My wife would disagree. When we walk in the neighborhood, she does walk faster than me. I don't know what it is. She got, I don't think her legs are much longer than mine, but she walks faster than I do. But when I'm typically walking somewhere, I walk fairly fast. I walk with a purpose because I don't like to walk, right? Wade, you same way. Walk to your truck. I'm walking fast because i got to get the tool to get back. But let me walk through these verses with you because there's so much in them. <clears throat> Verse 43 the next day. And as I've been keeping track, this is day four. But when we pick up next week, in verse one of chapter two, it says day three. So we'll have to talk about that. How did I get to day four? In chapter two, verse one, he says day three. Anyway, so the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now let's pause just for a second. Because if you do look at the original language, and if you're like Dan Brown, Dan Brown, are you up in the booth or are you over there? What does, do you have your Bible with you? New American Standard says it a little bit different. Because there's an argument. Who is the subject, who is the person who goes to find Philip? Some translations, I think the NIV says, you got it? Philip found Nathaniel, right? So, in the NIV, it says, Jesus has decided to leave, finding Philip, implying that Jesus found Philip, not that 
whoever it would be, Andrew, or could have been Peter, because those are the two disciples that are mentioned earlier. Nevertheless, he says, follow me. Now that you're totally confused, we'll come back to try to clear up your confusion. Verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, those are the three up above, was from the town of Bethsaida, or Bethsaida. There are different, there's a Bethsaida, Bethsaida Beth, there is Bethida, there are, Beth is the word for house in Hebrew. And Seda is the word for hunter or fisher. So it's either fish house or hunter's house. But they're from a fishing village, so I'm going to say it's the house of fish. All right? Philip found Nathaniel. Let's back up a second. Say again? Well, that's all right. Uh, you said Philip, but basically read your verse 43. You got verse 43, Dan? 43, read it. He found Philip. It doesn't say who the he was. Most, most translations imply that it's Jesus. So there is, there, and I'll come back to that when we get to the, the points of the sermon, if I can ever get through the text. Yeah, so that is the point of the sermon. Look, look at the text. Um, think of those names. Andrew, do we have an Andrew in the congregation? Mm -hmm. Do you know what your name means? Manly. Manly. Tough. Warrior can even be translated. So that's what Andrew is. Peter, we knew from last week's text, he, he translates it for us. It means the rock. You know, not, like I said, not the rock, the actor. John, the, the book is by, means grace from God. So we have these words that are coming together. And then Philip. Anybody named Philip in here? I figured I had some Johns. Philip? Got a Philip? What does Philip mean? Are you raising your hand back there, Laura? You know what Philip means? Lover of horses. Where did that come from? I mean, in a fisherman, you could have named it, right, Joe? I mean, lover of horses could have named Joe Philip. How do I make a feminine version of Philip? Phyllis. There you go, Phyllis. Close enough. All right. But you've got Philip, who's a lover of horses, and then you've got Nathaniel, who is only mentioned in this chapter and the last chapter of the book of John. Nowhere else is he mentioned. Sir? Not ready for prime time? He is. He is a capstone. He's like the bookends of this text. He is there at the beginning, and he's there when Jesus has come back from the resurrection and says, Hey, boys, you caught any fish? No, we haven't. Well, why don't you throw the net on the other side? Oh, let's cook up them, all them fish that you can't even get to the boat, you know, to the shore with, and let's have breakfast. So he is the bookends, if you will, in the text. Many think, well, his name, of course, is a gift of God. Some, some equate him with Bartholomew, um, and, and that's arguable because the other uh, gospels have different listing of the twelve disciples. But here we go. Let me come back to this. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? I mean, that is a town that gets no respect. That's like the Rodney Dangerfield of those of you who are so young don't have an idea who that is. He gets, that, that city gets no respect. Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, my friends that I was with yesterday, I kept looking and looking. How many times have your child, grandchild, 
That happens more for me with grandchildren. But when your children are young, they want you to come. Come, come, come. Come, Daddy. Come, Mommy. Come, come, come. I want to show you something. Come see. Come, come, come see. And many times we are too lazy, too apathetical, too tired, or just not engaged enough to take them by the hand and go and see what they wanted to show. Thank God that Nathaniel responds to Philip. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. King James, what word is that? In whom there is no guile. I never use that word much in my modern-day vocabulary, but deceit. Um, um, in the round is a way to transfer, translate that word. In other words, he's saying, here's a man who speaks the truth, nothing false. Verse 48, how do you know me, Nathaniel asked. You know, he's never even met him. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And from that one intimate knowledge of Philip, he says, oh, excuse me, of Nathaniel. Nathaniel declared, that's what threw me off. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Just because he knew Nathaniel, and Nathaniel hadn't seen him, but he says, you are the king of Israel. Jesus says, you believe because I told you, and I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. In, in uh, the Greek, it's amen, amen. NIV may say uh, this, I tell you the truth. But it's, he's saying over, over and over, King James is probably verily, verily. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Powerful passage. Let me pray with you briefly. Lord, as we uh, ask your blessing once again on this word, I pray I have not brought more confusion, but perhaps enlightenment to the nuggets of gold that you've left for us in this text. Men who you called by name, each with distinctive names, one you even renamed. And your ability to see within the hearts and the minds that Nathaniel would say, you are the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. I pray that we might have our eyes opened as well. That our hearts would be open to you. And that we would be able to come and see and follow you. All this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that I mentioned to you of these, this, this message is to find. Find. Have you ever lost your cell phone? Ever lost a child? Like in the mall or they walk away and ever lost your wallet? I have one son that can never keep track of his wallet. I, I myself have problems with my cell phone. Even this morning the chief was in my office and I've left my cell phone and who cares? But it, I had to go get it in the car. Uh, we've had one child, I think, walk away from us shopping. <laughs> we've had another child... In, you remember those little power wheel cars? The oldest boy took the younger boy out of the neighborhood in one of those power wheel 
We were stationed in England where the, you know, the military housing lines up beside it. He's, he is over touring the neighborhood, and we could not find them. And here they come back, you know, like, hey. And this is, pre this is preschool. He wasn't even in kindergarten at the time. So, yeah, but where your heart goes, you know. So you know what it's like to have something lost. And when you find it, do you care who found it? I mean, if it's your wallet, yeah, you check to see if there's money in it. If it's a cell phone, you're turning it on to make sure it's yours. And if it's your child, you're, you're feeling them, checking them out, making sure they're all right. But you really don't care who found them as long as it's been found. And likewise, that's why I don't want us to wrap around the axle. Whether, who it was that, that came to Philip, whether Jesus himself is the one who found him, or he'd been led by one of these other disciples, one of these other disciples found him. That does stay in keeping with the Gospel of John. That's why I want to bring it out. Because in the Gospel of John, every time a disciple comes or someone is brought to Jesus, they're brought by someone. So I, I like the idea. And not letting each of us off the hook. Because it's much easier to say, Jesus found Philip. It's much easier to say, Jesus will bring everybody to church. It's much easier to say, Jesus will make this happen. And he can and he will, but he uses you to do those things. Face it, we'd rather think that Jesus would do all the witnessing. Jesus would do all the evangelism, the mission work. Inviting people to church can be uncomfortable for some. Agree? It must be. Because if everybody here had brought one person, we'd have... I mean, a mathematician, we'd have twice as many people. <laughs> Some of us look at evangelism and outreach as the E word. Like it's a dirty word. You can't even say the rest of it. Because if you say it, it means you need to be involved in it. You need to find this concept of with, of being with others, and with a mission of sharing the good news of Jesus. Because after all, People may come to a sanctuary because it has an outside, you know, some beauty, maybe the stained glass, stained glass windows are exciting, but the building won't call the people in. The music won't call the people in. The Sunday school programs, the small group activities won't call. The Wednesday night fellowships won't call the people in. It will be people like you and me, everyday Christians, that ask somebody, come and be with me. Come and see what I have seen. Come and find the Lord that I have found and follow him. So don't let yourself off the hook. If you're coming to worship, if you're coming in a small group, you're part of our fellowship, part of our ministries of the church, you need to continue connecting with other people and inviting them to be a part of the fellowship of God. Erwin the guy, the, the German beer maker, didn't even know he was lost until he spoke to someone who spoke the same language. Invited him and helped him. You speak the language of this community, whether it's English or Spanish or Russian or, or Polish. or You know the languages of the people. Speak to them and tell them about the joy you have with Jesus. Find follow. Philip, this lover of horses, follows Jesus to the house of fish, or the town known as the house of fish, tells Nathanael that we have found the one that Moses wrote about. Verse 45. 
Jesus of Nazareth, as I said, the Rodney Dangerfield of biblical cities. It gets a bad rap. It's a poor city. It's a small city. And I was going to name poor or small cities around here, and I thought, I'll insult somebody. So I cleared this with my wife. There's a town about nine miles from my podunk, poor little town. I grew up in Jonesboro, Illinois. She grew up in Weetog, Illinois. There's a church. And that's it. No post office, no grocery store, some farms. And when I started dating this girl from Weetog, my friends were like, what good can come out of Weetog? <laughs> and they nicknamed her the Tog, T-A-U-G, Tog. And she still, we, I think that's a, I just divulged my passwords on some of my computers. It's Tog, 1984, the year we got married. But can something good come out of Weetog? Absolutely. Absolutely. This month will be 38 years. She was only two when we married, I want you to know. Yeah. Nathaniel cannot expect anything good to come out of Nazareth. And how, how that is that what we expect affects us. Your expectation. I mean, that can be good. If you expect good things, good things will, be, will probably happen. I just saw a movie, movie recently, if you always expect the worst, you're never disappointed. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to live that way. You see this next photo? I think I've got this one in there. I cannot pronounce this lady's name. Chimamanda? Ch Chimamanda. She is a, a Nigerian storyteller. My sister actually uh, did some uh, postgraduate work in storytelling. Uh, so, I mean, it's a real art to telling a story. Uh, but she tells the story of that when she was a child, she was the uh, daughter of a professor and a city administrator. So she was in a middle class, this lady here, not my sister, uh, this lady here uh, was uh, from a middle to upper class, I guess, you know, as far as finances in Nigeria. And she said, as was the practice, I saw it on a TED Talk, so if you want to try to Google her name or screenshot that, you can watch this. Um, she, she said, as pra was practiced for someone of their economic level, they had a live-in housekeeper. And they hired a new housekeeper, and I cannot pronounce his name, but I think I have it down in here somewhere. F-I-D-E. Fied? Feed? Feed? As long as you're consistent with your inconsistency, you're okay. But he hires this, uh, they have this young man come live with them, and his mother explained to her that he's from a very, very poor village away from where they lived, and that basically... Everything she ever does, and she's a young lady at this time, and she said, you know, if you don't eat your food, think of Fiad's family, how they're starving. And, you know, and if you don't do this, think of Fiad's family. And she said until one day she got to the point that she always thought the worst and expected the worst from this little boy who was her housekeeper, their, their bellman, if you will. And um, her parents went to this village to bring some food that they had for his family. And while there, she's introduced to his mother and father and introduced to his older brother who has made this beautiful, colorful basket. And she said, it was like my mind was blown that how could his family produce anything that was good? Because he was from a poor family. He was from an uneducated family. He was from, you know, just nothing. And I, she said, I learned that my single story, judging him on one story, was so wrong. Jesus almost was judged by a single story of his event, of who he was. 
by uh, Nathaniel. So Nathaniel asked him, let me go back here. Can anything good from Nazareth come and see, said Philip, when, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching? He's a true Israelite. I talked to you about the fact that of truth. How do you know me? How do you know me? And it's because he's sitting there. In fact, you could get in if we had a lot more time, I would tell you, and we don't. Um, the, the fact that he was sitting underneath a fig tree, it has a um, connection with often that's where um, conservative Jewish rabbis, or at least those who were uh, studiers of the word would set underneath the fig tree. That's one idea. There's also a verse in, um, I think it's Malachi, the fourth chapter, that talks about uh, under the fig tree where there'll be peace, there'll be no fear from our enemies. So there is a symbolism within that, that point. But it also, when, when Philip recognizes who he is, excuse me, when Nathaniel recognizes who he is, he follows him and Jesus says, our last point, if you're excited about just seeing me and knowing that I know who you are, you're going to be fulfilled when you see all the things that I will do. And that's when he brings us to that last verse, or last two verses. You believe because I, I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than this. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Genesis 28 and, and you know of um, Jacob and how, you know, this guy did a couple of things. He was a man that might have been known for deceit. And he basically got his brother's uh, birthright. He got his blessing, he got the, the birthright from a bowl of soup or stew and he got the, the blessing from fixing you know, some of the family lambs instead of getting the wild game and covering himself up with goat skin. So, he, you know, one, one brother's hairy, the other brother wasn't. And dad is, is older and not seeing very well and gives him the blessing. And after that, in Genesis 28, he has this vision uh, of angels going up and down into heaven. And many commentators at this point say that Jesus is now representing himself or pointing to himself as being the ladder, that which connects, connects heaven and the earth with himself. I think that's not a bad explanation. I mean, I think that, that works. But I think there's even more. That Jesus is saying, the heavens have been opened up. You will see the heavens opened up and the blessings of God upon me, referring us back to who he says he was in John 1.1, the word of God, the very essence of God. So there's all this symbolism coming together that you will see more than this and you will be fulfilled. Now, one last story before we move to uh, an invitation. There are many things in life that uh, you have temporary fulfillment on, right? Last, I've been on a diet here. Be careful. I've been on a diet for six days. <laughs> and I didn't get my snack between breakfast and lunch. So it's a wonder this sermon didn't end about ten minutes ago. But last night with some friends, I had ice cream. Yeah, I know. Send. But I had this very small bowl, a very cup of ice cream. And, and during the time of eating it, the entire time, I kept thinking, I, I wish this was bigger. I wish there was more. I wish they'd offer me theirs. I wish my wife wasn't here. I'd get up and go get another one, you know. 
And there are so many things in life that are like that that are temporarily fulfilling. You know I love cars. You go buy a new car, and within weeks, you know, you're... <laughs> I remember Mark Nicosia used to say he had an uncle that whenever he bought a new pickup truck, he threw a sledgehammer in the bed of it. Get that over with. <laughs> Lost the newness of it, you know. You lose the newness of the car, or of the shoes, or whatever thing that might be materialistic, and, and, and then it's lost that fulfillment. We have people that lose fulfillment even in their relationships. But Christ is the one who can restore all that. Christ is the one who can bring forgiveness and grace to make your relationships and to make your relation with Him back on solid ground. So today, consider how you are Finding and leading others to Christ, if you've already found him, have you helped somebody else find him? Are you following him with all your life? And are you seeking him for fulfillment in all you do? Would you stand with me, please, as we move to a time of invitation? Lord, as we pray once again, we ask you to speak to our hearts. If there's someone here today that has not been fulfilled, perhaps even in their faith. Bruce alluded to the times when we pray and we don't get what we want or we think it was a good one. Lord, you are not that cup of ice cream. Or if you are, Lord, we know that it's not always sunshine and roses in this life in which we live. Because this side of the grave, we won't know the fulfillment, the total fulfillment of being in your presence. But it's only through your, your son Christ Jesus can we find the forgiveness, the salvation, the restoration that you want us to have with you. So today, if there's someone who just needs to come to this, the steps of this altar and, and pray, maybe there's someone who wants to come and surrender their life to you. Uh, maybe there's someone who just wants to come and, and talk to me or one of the prayer team. Lord, we want them to know that the doors of the church are open. So as we sing these verses, Lord, let your Holy Spirit move in our midst, for I ask it in Jesus' name. 